0: Welcome to Firefly Ignite, where we believe that one story can ignite your story. Today we have the privilege of hearing from Kathleen Pelly, who is an award-winning children's author, storyteller, and speaker who's currently based in Denver, Colorado. Kathleen works to inspire and encourage her audience to honor the stories from their own lives, to tap into their own creativity, and to discover how stories can make hearts bigger and better and kinder. She's also the host of Journey with Story, which is a popular podcast where you will find her captivating narration with stories that are old and new, fairy tales, legends, and myths. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. We have the honor of having Kathleen Pelly on our podcast today. Kathleen, it's good to have you here. Thank you, Lauren. It's lovely to be here. I have been looking forward to chatting with you. We met quite some time ago, and at that time you had given me the three books that you had published uh, so far and all three of them have become family favorites and the giant king in particular the pages are worn out and have been taped back together and anyways ever since that meeting that we had a number of years ago I've been thinking I would love to catch up with you and just hear more about your own journey with authoring and writing and so I would just love to hear from you. Where did this all begin for you? And tell us a little bit about your own background.
1: Well, it began uh, long ago. I've got a, an image on my desk, a photo that my daughter brought back from Ireland, and it's a bicycle leaning against a whitewashed cottage in Ireland, and underneath it, it says, home is where your story begins. So certainly, you know, home for everybody is so important Um, I grew up in the dirty, industrial, nitty-gritty city of Glasgow in Scotland. It's changed a lot nowadays. It was the European city of culture, I think, in 1990. But when I was growing up there as a wee girl, um, I was the youngest of three. Uh, Neither of my parents finished high school. Uh, They met during the Second World War. My mother um, worked during the day, and my father worked two jobs, worked at night. So the background to all of that is, they taught us somehow or other to love life and to love stories and my father had been a farmer in Ireland so we spent all our summers on the farm in Ireland and that was probably really transformational for me as a wee girl because you know you could wander around the farm and it was instilled that beautiful sense of wonder in a child you know I, I was feeding my soul with the beauty and everything and it's just when I look back I realize that helped me tremendously as a writer and as just a person living in this world because I was drawn to the beauty of nature. Um, so anyway, I grew up in Glasgow, loved stories, uh, loved them before I could read or write because I listened to them in the BBC Children's Story Hour, which is funny because full circle all these decades later, I'm doing my own podcast with telling stories. Um, and so I went off to university and I studied history at Edinburgh University, University um, got my degree, and circuitously, I'll talk about that later, I went into teaching, Um, and just as a little girl, I guess, I grew up in that time where literature was important, where stories were important. It wasn't a separate subject. It was part of who you were. So I inherited, I think, that Celtic reverence for earth and nature and for story.
0: That's amazing. I love that you are able to look back on your childhood actually with fond memories and say that was a such a beautiful formative time in my life that has gone with you all throughout the years and story is such a an important aspect of growth and of life and um i think it can often be neglected in this day and age and so i i love that it's a passion of yours Absolutely. I mean, one of the
1: things I found a little hard when I came to America, I'd been a teacher in Scotland, is that somehow or other it almost becomes a subject, you know, reading and writing. And for me, when I give presentations, I actually always tell children the things that make you a better writer will also make you a better person because literature and life are inextricably linked. And again, especially in America, I found there was this huge thing about you know, feeding people's brain, but they didn't pay the same homage to how do we feed our children's souls? And that's regardless of religion or whatever you want to call it, but to recognize that writing doesn't just come from your head, that's impossible. It comes from your head and your heart and your soul. And for children to be nourished in that way from an early age is so important. And when I go to family literacy nights with parents, I'll talk It's important for your children to love stories, not because it's going to get them better grades, but it might because it will help them live well in this world because it gives them all those traits that they need like compassion and love and kindness.
0: Yes. And for you in your own journey of becoming an author, how long would you say that writing has been a part of your life and your story? really since as long as I could hold a pencil. But then again, I grew up in that culture where
1: I would say most of the girls that I knew, we went to an all-girls school, everybody wrote, that's what you did. You didn't have multiple choice tests. And I don't think there was this fear of writing as sometimes, that, well, not maybe a fear, but a unwillingness or an inability to see writing as something natural for every child. You know, they might not get the spelling correct, they might not get the grammar correct, but it's part of the human condition to pour out our hearts and souls. So I think I grew up, luckily, with that. And of course, when I studied history at university, we didn't have multiple choice, you just wrote. So it wasn't until I really came to America that I began to write for publication, but I could already write. Everybody could, I thought, you know? Um, Yeah. But the trigger coming to America was um, a homesickness for Scotland, which is why my first book, The Giant Kings, a sort of Scottish fable, and again I say to children and parents even if you don't want to be an author it's good to indulge the habit of writing because it's
0: a very therapeutic tool. What I love about writing and what I hear you saying is that rather than as is often the case now with schooling writing being a subject that you need to get a grade on and pass Mm-hmm. Writing is so much bigger than that because it actually allows one to uh, use their imagination, to dream, to not just be fed information, but to think for oneself and, and create. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, you touched on a couple of
1: different points that are very uh, dear to my heart. I mean, as a teacher, I taught 9, 10, 11 year olds, and very often I would find that the children that weren't as academic, often had incredible insights in their stories now again the spelling would be all messed up the grammar wouldn't be right but they were able to hone into that nugget of truth and children until it's you know time is a way of eroding that but children have this incredible sense of wonder and this incredible sense of what is true and real in their feelings um and yes i find it sad that in our education system, many times, we lose the ability to honor children for their writing because we're so caught up in measuring. And as a matter of fact, one of my books, Magnus Maximus and Marvelous Measure, was all about that. Because when I came to America, I felt as if, and I feel as if I'm not picking on America. It's the same now in many, many places. But when I came here, I felt as if I was blanded in the Guinness Book of World Records. And, you know, my husband is a consummate measure everywhere we went. How long is this? How far is that? And somehow it was a competition for everything that had to be measured. And so I wrote this book, Magnus Maximus. It's about a man who loves to measure all kinds of things. And then he breaks his glasses, can't see to measure. And, of course, what does he find out? The best things in life cannot ever be measured. So um, it's that sense of wonder that children remind us of. That can never be measured. And so, again, in our school system, and maybe as parents, we need to remember the best things can't be measured. And writing is so important for children, um, even if they don't get good grades in it. Right.
0: Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. Anytime in the life of my own children, if I can get a book into their hands or a, a story, a good story, yeah. Um then I think that it's it's depositing something in them and and i i've heard you speak about good stories and and what would you say defines a good story? What are the elements involved right. in, in in a good right. story? Well, I usually have an hour presentation on that Lauren, but i'll
1: distill it to its essence. I always start with saying you know um Harry Potter, the author of, uh, J.K. Rowling and I have a couple of things in common, and I'm quick to add it's not the number of books we've sold. Um, But she, like me at university, studied Latin, and I did it because I wanted to go out of doing science. But anyway, we both have this penchon now, I think, for the ancient Roman writers. And years ago, I don't know if you know, but uh, J.K. Rowling was invited to give the commencement speech at Harvard. And she ended that speech with a quote by Roman writer Seneca, and he said, as is a tale, so is life. Not how long it is, but how good it is, is what matters. And so I give a whole presentation about, you know, what what is this goodness that links life and literature? And for me, I think there's five traits. There's love. There's wonder. There's beauty. There's hope. And there's an, what I would call an all-wellness. And that all-wellness... It's what my parents taught me, really, I think. And it's not a Pollyanna disregard for the sadnesses in our life. It's that in the end, it's what all good stories tell us, whether it's Harry Potter or the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. In the end, despite the madness and the sadness and the badness, good will triumph. And I think so many of those traits that I've just talked about are in good stories. That they can be sad and that bad things can happen But there's an underlying theme always of hope and joy and wonder that children are automatically drawn to in good stories.
0: And through those good stories by reading them and absorbing them it's as though it sets them on a course that is different than just one who's given information and it's all cerebral versus like you said the soul and the heart and not absolutely. just being kind of focused on on one particular way of regurgitating information but something absolutely. that's Im- embedded deep within absolutely
1: yep and i mean i grew up in fairy tales and folk tales and i understand it you know some parents are a little bit reluctant cuz they can seem kind of violent you know with red riding hood coming depending on which ending you look at but you know, there's so much written about the power of fairy tales and folk tales for, every, for all through the dawn of time, you know, we need those tales. Children can deal with that because they have inner fears of their own and so they need to see these um, almost exaggerated, terrible happenings in the fairy tales. And G.K. Chesterton said, I'm sure you know it, um, fairy tales don't tell children that dragons exist, fairy tales teach children that dragons can be tamed. So it's good for them to have those. Fairy. And in my podcast, I, I adapt them a little, but I like to use the classic fairy tales for children. Um, and that feeds their soul and gives them an idea that, okay, there's bad things out there, but I, I we can deal with it.
0: We can overcome this. It's as though it helps children to really to identify with the heroes in the story Uh, and to assimilate it into how can I be a hero or how can I tame the dragon? And I think it helps build actually a very strong sense of identity from within versus what seems so, so pervasive today is just looking outward into a false sense of confidence by being like the crowd. Yeah, no, that's a great observation and I certainly have come across that
1: over and over again. One of the things that used to sadden me when I went into schools here you know to give presentations is that oftentimes children would say oh are you famous? Are you famous? Or they'd say you are famous you know and you know you must make a lot of money and and one of my books is called The Sandal Artist and it's about this poor young artist who longs to be a great artist and so he doesn't paint all the poor people in his village, he doesn't paint the ragged children. He wants to paint only bright and beautiful things. One day um, he goes into a cobbler's shop to get his shoes mended and the cobbler gives him a, a pair of sandals to wear. And he said, you know, you'll see the world differently when you wear these sandals. So he wears the sandals and all of a sudden he sees the children differently. He finds grace and beauty in the midst of the ordinary. And so, of course, the story truth, if you like, is that beauty and grace are all around us. And what is greatness? What well, I'll say to children is, are your mum and dad famous? No. Is your teacher famous? No. Pretty good chance that they're great because you're sitting in this wonderful school and you have a wonderful education in front of you. And so, which is better, to be great or to be famous? Because they're not certainly, certainly not always synonymous. Um, and so I like to talk to children about this factor, and parents What is greatness? What does it look like? Whose footsteps do you really want your children to walk into? And what does that look like? Um, And it'll probably never be famous. um, But I think you're right. I think our culture in the West, maybe all over the world, is obsessed with this fame and popularity and all the more so, I think, with the social media. Not that that's all bad. There's some good things to it. But I, I do worry about that when you see that with children, even with the whole even as a writer myself, you know you kind of think, "Oh, you know J. K. Rowling's famous, but that's okay. That's not the measure of your success, I think, as a writer or as anybody else. Um, you wouldn't be doing it if
0: all you wanted to do was famous, I think, for writing. I love that. I love that you're saying what matters is greatness and mm-hmm. and and not fame, not popularity. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important for children and adults alike to hear yes. in this day and age. I admire your own journey um, uh, in authoring because, um, and maybe you can kind of describe some of your journey with this because it wasn't it it wasn't an immediate success overnight, was it? It was it was progressive, but you did it. You, you you chose to publish books or try to publish books because it was your passion you love it it was never uh fame was not the goal for you you love storytelling and you want the world to hear stories but it's but um it's not about um well how famous can i be it's about doing what i right. love you love to right, do right.
1: yeah and the thing is of course it's of it's a business it's a very competitive business and, you know, without being too cynical, of course there's lots of wonderful books that get published every year. And there's some that get published because they're very marketable. And that's okay, that's that's part of the business. Um, and yes, it took a, a while to get published, and I was small publishers. And then I had one or two books with the bigger publishers, but they're out of print now, because again, it's a very competitive market. And yes, I think you have to be in it for the long haul. And, my other books that are coming out are still small publishers but um i think at the end of the day it's that's what you do i I write stories and i tell stories and i probably enjoyed doing my podcast because for 20 years i did storytelling at a lower income school in denver where i read fairy tales folk tales from kindergarten through eighth grade and then these schools shut down and one of my friends said well you know, why don't you do it online? So that's how that grew. So I'm very fortunate in that I get to do what I love, whether it's the podcast or still writing stories. Um but sometimes I'll talk to aspiring writers and, you know, as you've just said, seldom is it going to happen overnight. And even if it doesn't, even if you don't get published or don't get published the way that you want, does it matter if you you know, if you've got I think we've all got this urge to create, I think. And might not meet your living, but if you can have fine time to create your stories, even if they don't get published, then it's still important to do it.
0: Yeah, I actually was speaking with another author a couple of weeks ago, who, um, who's a poet. And Mm. he kind of just said, you know, I'm, I'm working on uh, this, I'm working on this volume of poetry that I've, I've, I've come to accept that it it, you know it may or may not ever be published i mean or if it's published posthumously like it doesn't matter the point is that i have yes. to write poetry exactly. i have to and exactly. so it's not about uh whose hands can i get this into even though sure it'd be nice if the publishing happened but that for him at least it was sort of this I think it helped him a little bit to alleviate maybe the pressure he was feeling just recognizing, I find it's life-giving to me to write poetry and I will do that. exactly, exactly. (laughs) And there's that
1: lovely quote that I always tell children, they always recognize E.B. White, you know, the author of Charlotte's Web, and you probably know this, but one of his famous quotes that I remind myself of daily is, all I want to say in books, all I ever wanted to say is, I love the world. And I always say to children, you know, again, this is a treat that helps you be a better person. But every day, if you just find one thing you love about the world, you'll never run out of things to write about. And you'll never run out of things to be grateful for. So it's that amazing wonder in the world. You just you can't help, but you want to write about it. And I think, you know, that's why writers write, but, you know, musicians make music or um, dancers dance. It's all that little essence, I think, of love
0: going back to the giant King and the Uh theme of that beautiful story and the idea of it being that there is goodness in every person. And part of our job is to discover it and to find it and to call it out. And, um, and I honestly, when I, when I've read that book to my children, um, I've thought to myself how can this book be put into the hands of every child all across the world it's so wonderful but can you describe a little yes. bit more about that it's funny enough that was my first book it's still in print it's
1: still used in many many places and um the the kernel of that there's a couple of things Um a friend of mine used to say you know We should really be kind to one another because we do not know the burdens another may have. And oftentimes that word burden is an old-fashioned word. Children don't really know it. But we'll get talking about it and say, what is a burden? A burden is a sadness in your heart. Maybe your kitten died last night. Maybe your mum lost her job or something. And it's a sadness. And so you come to school and you feel cranky and sad and maybe you act out. But if somebody else is doing that, instead of acting mean to them, you say, they're sad. And you reach out with kindness. Um, Oftentimes children will ask me, is the little boy in that book, Rabbi, modeled on anybody? And I didn't think he was. But then later on, I began to think about my dad. And, you know, my dad was a very inspirational figure for me because he was this very gentle, good person that really taught me to love stories and love life. And he was a very gentle dad, but there was one thing that he wouldn't tolerate, and that was if we began talking meanly about other people or our teachers, and he would say, if you can't find anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. And so he was the type of person that taught me to find the goodness in others. We all have our flaws, but every single person, I believe, is created good. And then there's ways that that can get eroded, but if we look for the goodness in others, then we'll find it. Um, And St. Francis de Sales is the patron saint of writers. But he came out with this beautiful saying that I think the giant king embodies after I wrote it, I realised that. And that is, there's nothing so strong as gentleness and there's nothing so gentle as real strength. And it's kind of counter cultural. But I think teaching children, modeling children, that strength can come from a kindness and from finding that good in others. Um, so I think it's got to to teach children to build peace. I think we have to be um, very intentional about that. How do we deal with people who don't treat us so well?
0: Yes, that's such a, a poignant thing to be taught today. I mean, it always is important, but it does seem yes. as though there's a lot of things happening in society today i, I read i read somewhere that in the west even in the last f- few years it's become more of a shame culture where people are are um, are shamed very easily and then and then cut off or you you're, you know you're, you're one thing is pointed out and then there's this judgment made and you're shunned and um, very
1: interesting yes it's the
0: opposite of looking for goodness and and, and being empathetic and trying to build bridges so exactly. I think that's very poignant for today yes yes
1: and to be measured only by the one bad or the one bad thing you're not this, you're not the sum, the sum of yourself is not the one bad deed that you did, or we'd all be lost. Exactly. So, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Our society is very uh, strange in that way that they focus, I guess that's what makes the news, and that's part of the whole fame thing. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love um I love the message that you bring and I love that uh, your podcast is able to reach so many so many more than going to the local school or library. Exactly. You know? Yes. And yes. um and so and and did I read correctly that you're coming up on your hundredth episode? You
1: know, we're growing in our number of listeners, not that we have to measure success by that, but I get lots of lovely messages from mums and dads and children. And again, it's not about me, it's not about me, These are, it's just to know that stories are touching children's hearts, and especially in the middle of obviously the horrible pandemic that affected everybody all around the world. I got some amazing messages from people saying what we all know is true, stories are so healing for children. And my podcast can never take the place of a parent reading to their child, but it's a, certainly a nice supplement, I think, um, and again, I grew up listening to the BBC, so I think there's something important for children, and I'm a picture book author and I'm seeing this, but I think there's something important about just listening to stories and not seeing any images, and let your imagination paint the images. And that's why I'll say to a lot of the children or their parents, you know, paint me or draw me a picture of what you saw, what words did, what pictures did these words paint in your
0: imagination? So I think all of that is very healing for children to listen to stories. It is, and I know as a family that, especially on, you know, long road trips, that kind of thing, yes. it's fun to have a really great story that we can yeah. listen to, and, um, you know, in a, in a day and age where there's video for everything, um, which is fun on, on the yeah, one hand, sure, but on the other sure. hand, it's, again, it, it, the, the listening aspect um allows us to imagine when video does not so much you exactly. know the, the the story is told to you um whereas reading a book or listening to a book uh, you get to imagine yourself what that yep. might look like exactly yep
1: we just talked about my journey with story and uh, we talk about linking literature to life And when I go to schools, my presentation is usually called Journey with Story. And I'll take each of my books and show children how stories are like a journey. You have a beginning. You're setting out on your journey. And what do you have to take with you? You have to take your suitcase. Well, what's in your suitcase? It's what we talked about E.B. White. All I want to say is I love the world. It's all the things in life that you've loved. Um, And there's another, Marcus Aurelius, a Roman writer, who said, the color of your thought dyes your soul. And then a very lovely priest friend of mine will say and the color of your soul dies your world and so that's what's in my suitcase and that's what is in every person's suitcase when they write what's their soul because their stories come from their heart and soul and then i'll talk about you know uh, diversions along the way on a journey and the same with when you're writing a story because it's not from your head it's from your imagination your heart you go off on another tangent and then i'll talk about your favorite part of the story and i'll see to children Yes, I wrote it, but I don't think of it as mine. It's also the illustrators and the reader and the editor. And so I always have a favorite part of the story. And then I'll ask the children, what was their favorite part? And then we'll compare it. And then I'll talk about um, full circle. We come home again. and. Most good stories will circle back to the beginning in some way. You've been changed in some way. You've found something. You've discovered something. And then most important, this is what I do in my podcast a lot. I'll say, now, usually in a good story, there's a souvenir. And what's a souvenir? Something that reminds us of our journey. And the souvenir of a story, you might not remember the whole story, but there'll be some little nugget of truth, little bolt of beauty that touches your heart. And so I'll say to them, what's your story? And it might be different for different people, but what's the souvenir you take from that story? And so for the giant king, hopefully, it will be, if you look for it, you can find the king and queen and anyone. You can find their goodness. So uh, then when I was doing my podcast, this is the idea I got for calling it Journey with Story. Because I think in this life,
0: we're all on a journey together, and yet alone. You know, this is the journey of life. So wonderful. Uh, That's great. And what would you say to those who are thinking about going into writing uh, or I I know quite a few people who have who have said, Oh, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to write a book or I've always wanted to write a children's book. And I know that there's so much fear around the risk of it. And so do you have any encouragement for those people? Sure. I do have an encouragement and I have a reality check, too, because
1: I certainly wouldn't want to discourage anyone. But, you know, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, oh, I really want to write children's picture. Will you talk to me? And I say, of course, of course. But sometimes I see their faces getting very long and sad when I give them. Because, as you said, it's not instant. It's not going to be an instant gratification. And if you love it, then you'll be in it for the long haul. And the first thing I say is, like, well, how many children's books have you read in the last year? Like recent children's books. And I'll give them a long list of books I suggest they read. I tell them to go on the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and join that. And you have to love what you're doing or you won't stay in it. So, having said that and having told them it's very competitive, then go ahead, you know, join your professional group, write every day, write about what you love, talk to other people, spend time reading poetry, reading children's books. Read, and that's the same thing I say to children if you want to be a good writer. Read, 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 read. And if you haven't, if you don't like reading, you haven't found something that's meant for you. Because if somebody wrote a 60,000 page book about you, I say to a child, you'd read the book. So find what it is you love and then read. And it's the same with adults. I'd say read, 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 and then join professional groups and just write every day. And there's no shortcut to that, I don't think, at all. Um, and then just write about what you love, but at the same time, to be realistic, I do think if you want to be published, you have to be savvy about making something that will fit the market today without compromising your own heart and soul. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes, you want to be true to yourself, but if you want to be published, then you have to make sure, for example, the books that I wrote, 13 years ago, wouldn't be published now because they're too long. The publishers want much shorter picture books now because attention spans are shorter, sadly. (laughs) But, and you know, they'll say things like don't use words that children don't know, but then that that brings up a whole um, issue of, for me, because you look at Beatrix Potter and you look at the words she used, you know, soporific and um, my mind's got a blank there soporific, and some other words that she used is for a three-year-old and of course they'll understand it um, so those are small points but i think in answer to you i'd say always follow your dream yes do it right right but be realistic about it too
0: sure yes yeah. and it's never too late but just exactly. carry 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 on and and walk out with what's in your like, heart to do And actually
1: I would say one more thing because this came up in my writers
0: critique group not that long ago and we're all published writers,
1: we've been in it a long time and you know the market goes up and down and right now of course who knows what's going to happen with anything in the world publishing and we all said to ourselves you know at the end of the day even if this book that you're writing doesn't get published every piece of writing really does help you as a person You know, because you're writing from your heart and soul you're writing to discover stuff And so I think when you really appreciate and really believe that, it's not a waste. Um, You know, Aesop's fable, no act of kindness is ever wasted. And I'll say to children, no act of writing is ever wasted because it comes from your heart. And maybe if you hadn't written that story that got torn up and thrown away, then you wouldn't have had the other one. And I'll show them all the pieces of writing that I did that were never published, but maybe if I hadn't written those, I wouldn't have The Giant King published. So I think if you look at it like that, Each piece of writing is a stepping stone to making you a better person and to maybe getting a book
0: published. And you're also touching on the deeper issue of the importance of living from your heart which often is not the case that 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 takes a lot of intentionality to actually live from what's in your heart and not just live out of practicality or what the world says your life should look like. That's a very risky and vulnerable thing to live out of that place. It is too, again,
1: not to be too cynical, but there's many books that really hit the top of the charts because they're geared to fit a particular groove. They're not written from the heart. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying there's some that are written to sell, which is, that's what it is.
0: And so you have to be aware of that and think, well, that's okay. The world needs those books that are written from the heart as much yes. as, as yes. Uh, those that also kind of meet a practical need. So thank yes. you for that encouragement <laughs> for those who are listening yes. and um, are wondering if they should follow that dream in their hearts. Yes. Well, do you have any other thing that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think one thing I'd want to say,
1: because I think one of your questions earlier that we kind of touched upon, you know, is like, what is my sermon? Like, what are my, and I, I think I've read this before, that oftentimes authors, whether it's authors of adult books or children's books, sometimes they keep having a recurring theme in their stories without them really knowing, being aware of that. And as I look at my stories too, I think the recurring theme for me is always this notion of goodness, happiness and creativity because I think they're all connected. And this thing about happiness, I ran a mother-daughter book club for many years And we did something called the Junior Great Book Foundation, which means you read a story right then and there, and then you talk about it. And I love this method, especially with children that are maybe less academic, because they don't have to read well. We read the story together, and then they talk about how literature touches them, their heart. And in those mother-daughter book clubs, again and again and again, we went back to happiness, and what was it? So many stories, fairy tales, folk tales, classic tales, involve something to do with what makes this character happy and how do they lose it do they have a wish what makes them happy and i thought about it for a long time and our culture seems obsessed with getting happiness like fame and then i came across this book and um his name was william o'malley and in the book he talks about the greek definition of happiness it's an evolving of the soul i thought wow that's amazing because it's never static and it's never got to do or really got to do with the external. And that's what made me write Happy Mamas because that's a book about what makes these mothers happy because I think motherhood, whether it's um, natural or adopting a child, has all got to do with loving and creating this child and that's the evolving of a soul. And I think for every human being, we are called to love and create. Might not be creating a book, might be creating a business or creating a garden, whatever. And so I think when we're loving and creating, we're at our happiest because we're doing what we're meant to be. And I think that all ties into linking literature and life. And it's this true understanding of what happiness is, that it's got to do
0: with loving and creating, and that's it. And it's not something it's not an object that you get yep. that yep. you know suddenly uh-huh. you know produces this feeling inside of you, but it's yep. a, a process, and exactly. it's um, it it forces you, I think, to uh, be faithful in the little things. It forces you to have longevity. Um, it forces you to have gratitude for the little things, um, and 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 allow you to kind of look back and have perspective on something that it, all those ideas all wrapped up in in the evolving of the soul yes. which just takes time and eyes exactly. to see as well <laughs> exactly again countercultural
1: because we're so used to instant gratification
0: well kathleen i have loved hearing your story and the ways in which you're able to live out of your own heart and really bless others around you, bless the world through story. It's been so great to hear uh, all of the wonderful tidbits of inspiration from you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Lord. and It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It was great to chat with Kathleen, and I'm so glad that you were able to tune in with us today. You can find her at KathleenPelly.com. And I'd also strongly encourage you to subscribe to her podcast, Journey with Story. Thanks again for listening and tune in next time.